She did a wonderful job of addressing more Memorial Day too, but it's kind of customary and for me also. If you were, have ever served in the United States military, I'd appreciate if you'd just raise your hand so we could see it. Okay, God bless you guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. But you know what? Yeah. <clears throat> More applause. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's another war front going on too, right here in the United States of America. All the nonsense and stupidity that just seems to keep going and going. And I tell you what, folks, it's probably going to get worse. But to our first responders, the police, firefighters, paramedic, let's give them a round of applause too because they deserve it. And just like Carrie so aptly said, Memorial Day is not about veterans. That's what Veterans Day is for. But we do honor our veterans. We try to every time, especially in this church. But Memorial Day is about those who have gone before. There's a lot of people that we've lost this last year. This church, and it has a lot to do with why my family and I are a part of this church, is this church is really good about honoring the appropriate traditions. And I also want to say, let's give a round of applause for everybody in the congregation that still honors Memorial Day and things like that. Let's do that, please. You, I think most veterans would agree with me that if you want to do something stupid with the American flag, you have the right to do it. I think you're stupid. I love what Johnny Cash said, if I may quote him. He served in the Air Force. Have you guys know this quote I'm about to tell you? Any of you heard this? He said, you go ahead and burn your flag. You're welcome to. That's what we serve for. But you come and try to burn my flag and I'll kill you. I think that's fair enough. But there's something going on right now with this. That, and I tell you what, we've, we have made mistakes as a nation. I'm a historian. We need to own those and we need to admit to them and, and accept it and deal with it, and realize that we are not perfect. We are not necessarily, as a country, the guy with the white hat on. Sometimes it's been black. However, you don't fix the headache by cutting off the head. And something, one of the most insidious things that's going on right now, and in my mind, it's literally out of the pit of hell, is this thing that they're saying that patriotism is racism. Folks, it's not. Don't, don't listen to that dribble. That is nonsense. Yes, we've made mistakes. Yes, we need to own up to them. But having said that, being patriotic for this country is not a sin. It's not a crime. It's nothing wrong. In fact, the Bible even says that in the last days, they'll call good evil and evil good. And if you ask me, that's a perfect example of it. Again, we've made mistakes. But I tell you what, we have set people free as a nation too. I remember when Iraq and Afghanistan started in earnest and the French people were really up in arms about the French being involved. And I don't know his name, but the prime minister of France at the time says, folks, we have very short memories. Go count the number of American graves that are buried here. Twice we almost faced extinction as a nation and the United States stepped in. Yes, we made mistakes. Yes, we're not always a good guy. But I tell you what, what this country is supposed to be about is still worth standing up for and still worth fighting for. I would like to introduce you guys sometime to an assistant pastor of the church I used to go to down in Carbondale named Kudzai Mosumi. He grew up in Zimbabwe. Him and most of his siblings are either in the United States and England now because his, his dad was big in the Zimbabwean government and he wanted his kids to live in the free world. And he sacrificed everything so that they would live in the free world. But you ask him about voting, for example, in Zimbabwe. Oh, you're going to vote. 
You are going to go vote. You're going to go in there. Now, he's dead now, but at one time they had a tyrant who had been a war hero previously that, that led Zimbabwe. His name was Bugambe. Does anybody know that name? Yeah, you're going to go in and vote for Mugambe, and you're going to come out and say, I voted for him, and it was the best thing I ever did. Because if you don't, they'll take you out back and plant you in a hole. We, it, it, that church, I don't like, I'm not trying to bring it up all the time, but we have international friends from all over the planet in that church. And I would like for people to say that all this evil and everything that's bad that's going on in this country to talk to one of them for a few, for a few minutes. Most of these places in the earth, if you wanted to complain about it too much, they'll use you as fertilizer. At least you have the right, you have the privilege, you have the freedom to be as stupid as you want to be in this country. That's kind of what's tying into what I'm talking about. Today is a continuation of last week. It's part two of navigating the nonsense. And this one is subtitled, Going on the Offense Against the Nonsense. But that's what it is. It's absolute nonsense to say that you're racist if you fly an American flag. Let me tell you something about it if you really want to get into it. Our nation is here partly because of the sacrifices that minorities have played a part in it. When I was still at the prison and I led a, a veteran support group for the inmates, there was a black man that was there who was a Vietnam vet. And I tell you what, you know, he was doing life for murder, but he would flat out tangle with you if you said something like that to him. He was a patriot also. And he saw plenty of his brothers, white and black, zipped into body bags so we would have the freedom to say and do and believe what we want. And you take something like Vietnam. Maybe we should have never been involved in Vietnam. I don't know. I'm not going to argue with that. But we were. And we sent people over there to do a job. You want to talk about mistakes we've made? I harp on this a lot. I know one of the biggest mistakes we've made that I know anything about is how we treated those boys when they came home. Spitting at them. Throwing back. Now, it probably didn't happen in these little rural communities, but it happened on a mass scale. And you know, you, co you talk to a veteran, and a lot of people do this nowadays, and they say, thank you for your service. And I've learned from an older veteran, say, you know what? This place is worth serving. But to Vietnam vets, we've heard a lot of times through family that's known a lot of them, and I'm no Vietnam vets, they say, if you want to say something to honor us, don't say thank you, say welcome home. Because we never got a lot of that. That's, uh, you know, when we talk about mistakes, that's also a mistake. There are people who have been making sacrifices for this nation. What I'm wanting to say is even if you don't think we should be involved in something, the fact that we still have people going and raising their right hand and say, I do so solemnly swear to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. When you make that oath, those of you who have served in the military, you know what I'm talking about. Even if you were in the rear echelons and all that, you are saying, I give you the freedom and the right to do anything with me that you see fit, up to and including the ultimate sacrifice. Don't take it lightly, folks. Patriotism is not racism. There's a reason that we have what we have, and I, we're throwing it away left and right. We're losing it. We're absolutely, as a society, losing our flipping minds. We're going nuts. We've got, what's the, the singer that came and visited a couple years ago before COVID that's in Branson? Ken Evans. Oh, I'm sorry, Gatlinburg, right? Okay, Ken Evans. He said something when he preached that morning that we have all this technology. He got out his phone and says, I can do my banking from anywhere on planet Earth. We're so smart. And yet, 
we're, we're arguing over the idea of which bathroom we need to use. People, we are losing our minds as a society. Every, you know, I could show more videos like I showed last week of examples of the nonsense, but I really, I, even then, I don't think that was necessary. I don't think it's necessary today because you can't turn on the TV, you can't open a newspaper, you can't talk to your friends, you can't do anything like that without seeing more and more examples of absolute nonsense everywhere you turn. And if I may, I'm going to, a little bit of review from last week, I'm going to define nonsense, spoken or written words that have no meaning or make no sense. Foolish or unacceptable excuse me, foolish or unacceptable behavior. The very opposite of sense, a lack of wisdom or prudence, and that's what we're seeing. I don't know what pronoun that I should go by. I don't I don't want to belittle anybody or make lie to anybody, and, and especially people who have been emotionally and physically traumatized. I don't want to make lie to that. But you know what? We still used to have a standard. That's what we gauge it against. The standard, the plumb line that came down from heaven. The plumb line. This is what we base our ideas and our philosophy on. No, we all don't have to be the same cookie cutter person. But when it gets to what is true and what's not true, what do you gauge it against? And nowadays it doesn't seem like there's any standard. How you feel. Last week in a little bit more review we talked about feelings were created by God. Feelings are important. They're necessary. It's necessary to feel pain and to grieve. It's necessary sometimes to even be angry. I'll do you one better. You show me from this book where anger in itself is a sin. It's not. It's an emotion. What you do with that anger can be a sin. Emotions are important. But in the train of our life, they're the caboose. They're not the engine that drives it. The engine that drives it needs to be based on objective truth. Our legal system, if you go back and look at it in history, was based on the writings of John Locke, Minuscule, guys like that. And if you look, and their, their legal treaties and what they wrote about the law, they used hundreds of examples from the Holy Word of God on how they based that. Our legal system in this country, at its core, is based on the Bible. I solemnly, this isn't something that Paul was just saying. This isn't some words he just threw out there. I solemnly respectfully, patiently, in reverence to God, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead. Folks, that day's coming. And by His appearing in His kingdom, and I'm telling you, don't lose hope. Look up because your redemption's drawing nigh. Jesus is going to come back. And I tell you what, I think it might be right at the door. But if we're a true believer, that's great news. That's not something to be down about. It, the Bible says encourage one another with these words. I want to encourage you today. If you know Jesus, look up. Your redemption's drawing nigh. The pain's going to be at an end. The loss of your family's going to be at an end. You're going to meet with all those that have gone before and know Jesus. It's coming. Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time had come. Don't switch the Scripture, please. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. There was a fullness of time for Jesus to come the first time. And I tell you, there is more historical evidence to back up the fact of Jesus than there is the writings of William Shakespeare. I promise you that's a fact. If you don't want to take my word for it, there's a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And I'm telling you, in this book, he demonstrates that he could prove in a court of law that the person of Jesus walked on this earth, died, was buried, was resurrected, and ascended into heaven. 
I'm getting off on a tangent. I need to get past that. Sorry. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Get this, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. We have people that are buying wholeheartedly into myths. Mythology. There might be a little kernel of truth in there, but it's all a bunch of hoax. It's all a bunch of nonsense. And people, I'm going to tell you, this book is not mythology. This book is not mythology. This book is based on facts. And I'll tell you one of the biggest apologetics of the word. If, you, if you're not familiar with apologetics, it's from the Greek word apologos. It means to make a logical, fence, a logical defense, not a lame excuse for why you do something or believe it. And there's a whole study in theology about apologetics, or in other words, how we can prove the Bible is true and right on the money. And one of the biggest things that occurred to me a few years ago is that if you listen to the critics, this book shouldn't exist. Because no matter who wrote it, how long ago, they'll say, well, Paul really wasn't the author of that letter. And they think they know why, but you look at the internal and external evidence, we know that Paul wrote this letter. But if you listen to the critics, it shouldn't exist. And yet it's here. It's been here for 2,000 years. Don't listen to the gunk they say on TV. I tell you what, I brought it up last night, and I'm going to briefly bring it up again. There are professors in every university, it seems, in this country, even in Christian theological seminaries, that their goal is to ruin the faith of the students that they're, they're going to school there. I had a buddy down at SIU that was going for automotive technology, learning how to turn wrenches and do stuff with the computers and cars, and still had a professor that said, my goal is to tell you all that the Bible is a bunch of bunk and to ruin you all from being Christians. What does that have to do with turning wrenches anyways in the first place? But there's a lot of, now, there's also professors that stand on the truth. And I want you to know, you can listen to those people all day long. I've never seen a single lie come out of this book. 35 years I've been reading it. In fact, most of the lie I see is when I'm outside of this book. I've never found a thing of human, anything that a human can experience that there is not tangible, fluent, full information that can give you to give you a guidance and protection and a release from any human problem you might be going through. Never. Show me one. Tell me one. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. If you want to know something about navigating the nonsense, fulfill your ministry. Well, what is my ministry? I have no idea what your ministry is. Some of you I know, some of you have a pretty good idea, but you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't really know what I should be doing. The ladies that serve coffee every Sunday morning, they could use some help. I know, I'm pretty sure Jamie would like a, a, a break every now and then. There's something you can do. And even if that's not the right place for you, start doing something and you'll figure it out as you go along in faith. You pray about it and then other doors will open up. I know you could pour a cup of coffee or a cold cup of water for somebody in Jesus' name. I know if nothing else, you can pray. If you can think, you can pray. You can help people park their cars. Brother Severs, I was talking to him last night. I bet you he would enjoy a break every now and then. 
There's something you could do. We need people dedicated to help with the elevator. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody into getting into service, but I'm going to say this. All throughout church history, and I know I've said this before, and I know Pastor Mike has said it, but it's a fact. It's like a college football game. The church is. You have 22 people on the field in desperate need of a rest, and you have 2,200 or 22,000 people in the stands in desperate need of some exercise. In the church, 20% of the people do about 80% of the work. Folks, many hands make a load light. There's something you can do. And yes, it is in ministry. Jesus even said it, if you so much as give a cup of cold water to somebody in my name. He doesn't, you don't have to stand up like the tallest person in the world. Just stand up. Tell, you know, tell Pastor Mike, I want to get involved. I want to help. I can't do it all the time. You know, I can even only help out maybe one Saturday or one Sunday a month. Praise God, we'll take it. I'll bet you even there's people in this church right now or watching on Facebook at home that can probably play guitar or play percussion or sing, but, well, I'm too embarrassed to do it in front of people. I am too. Believe me. That's why when I'm singing, I have a guitar to hide behind. But praise God, you can get past that. Mrs. Schaefer, you've performed in front of a lot of people. Have you ever been nervous? Okay. Carrie, she did a great job. Did she not do a great job singing that special? Amen. Praise God. Carrie, you ever been nervous? I tell you what, Miss Suzanne's back there. She sang in front of this church a lot of times. You ever been nervous, Miss Suzanne? Thank you. There's something in the Bible there, too, about when you're weak, that's when he's the strongest. I pray almost every Sunday when we're back there. I, in fact, everybody's been laughing about it lately. I said, Lord, one of the things I pray is, Lord, if you don't anoint this meat sack, then nothing's going to happen. Well, I expected more laughter out of that. I really did. Everybody said, like, meat sack? Long story. There's something you can do. If you want to navigate the nonsense, you need to be getting involved. And if you are already involved, praise God. Praise God and pass the ammunition. Now, a few more things, and I'm going to be brief this morning, or I'm going to try to be brief this morning, on what we can do to go on the offense against the nonsense. I had a few people come up to me last week, last Sunday especially, and say, Chris, that was really awesome. But then they said, you know, that really, that really hit me hard. And I want you to know, it was not my intention in any way for that message to be convicting. If the Holy Spirit convicted you, then praise God. But that was not my intention. It was to encourage people. And I want that to be this. In fact, I put this on the first thing you could do. One of the biggest things you could do to navigate the nonsense is very simple. Very simple. If you are truly His, if you really know the Lord Jesus, if you made the transaction where He came into your heart, then understand 1 John 4, 4. Can we bring that up? This is one of these great old maxims of the church that's just awesome. It says this. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Don't worry about the nonsense in the world. He who is in you is greater. Take a stand on the fact I'm His, and there's nothing that can happen in this world that's going to change that or shake that. I'm His. One of the biggest things you could do to go on the offense against the nonsense is to accept the fact, don't listen to the doubt, don't listen... The, the Christian has three enemies, not just the devil. 
The Christian also has their own self-will, wicked flesh nature, and then the world system. Your enemies are always going to try to put doubt in your mind. Or is it just me? Am I the only one that has doubt come in my mind if I'm really a Christian? But praise God, the more I'm in this book, when the doubt comes up, the Holy Spirit says, but what have I told you? That leads to the next verse, Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. None. No condemnation. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. It goes on to say, we have an advocate if we sin, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's in 1 John 1, and then goes into chapter 2. We have an advocate. Let me tell you something. If you know Jesus, you have the greatest advocate that's ever been, and you don't have to worry about the nonsense. The nonsense can never overtake you unless you allow it. How, another thing that is to all these things we talked about last week and today, we need to be in the Word, we need to be praying, you need to be in fellowship. Guys, you've got to be in fellowship. Many hands make a load light. Let me tell you something a little bit about infantry science. If you're on the defense, what you do is if I'm here, I don't worry about shooting at guys over there. That's my buddy down the way job. We have what they call interlocking fields of fire. So I'll even have limiting stakes here where I don't go past this area right here. That's my buddy next to him. He's got to do his part. His stake is going to go past mine, so it interlocks. Are you with me? And then over here, my end is going to go past this guy's. So it interlocks, so you have coverage of the whole field. But it takes everybody doing their job to get it done. You've got to stay in fellowship. Because I'm telling you, in real warfare and in spiritual warfare, John Rambos are usually not the ones that make things happen. It takes a team. It always takes a team. The Lord designed it that there would be a congregation. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Not upon this rock, I'm going to put one strong saint like Paul. If you read all of Paul's letters, he goes on all the time that he had to have help from all these other people that helped him out. We've all got to be doing our job. Number two, if you know him, Daniel 11.32 is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. I love it. And in the latter chapters of the book of Daniel, it really gets into the end times. And it says this. I love this verse. At first, it's talking about the Antichrist, and it says this, By smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. What kind of action, Brother Chris? Doing these fundamental things we've been talking about. I shared last night, and I want to share it a little bit this morning. All the technology, everything that we've grown in the church, Facebook, soundboard. I want you to know we have a soundboard back there that we could literally hook up to a space shuttle and fly it to the moon. I really think the computer system in that could be used for something like that. It's probably overkill, but it can do it. We have all this technology, and yet we are forgetting some of the most important fundamentals of the church. In fact, I don't even think we've been doing it for years. And that's still simple things like memorizing scripture. Do we, I don't even think that, how many of you are Sunday school teachers? I know there's a few of you out there. Even before COVID, were you telling people or instructing your students to memorize scripture? Probably some of you, but that's something I remember as a kid, it was like mandatory in Sunday school. You spent the first few minutes, hey, tell us about the scripture you were supposed to memorize from last week. Folks, it's so important, and I'm not saying you have to memorize chapters, but there's probably a list of about 10 to 20 small verses like 1 John 4.4 4, we need to have in our brain housing group to get it in our heart all the time. Greater is he who is in, it's not words on a page. 
It's all by faith, yes. It's not sight yet. But I know that He who is in me is greater than the nonsense of the world. And I'm His. You are of God, little children. A buddy of mine, who's actually a PhD in geology, did a two-year study in Greece. And he got to learn a little bit of the language, and he lived with a Greek family over there. And he was saying that even to this day, the phrase little children, kids would tell their parents that. It's one of the most endearing phrases that you can have. So when you read John, any of his books, the gospel or his epistles, where he says, my little children, it's one of the greatest things that a person can say in affection to someone else. Oh, my little children. And that's what the Lord is saying to you, his child. If you are truly his, my little children, I love you. You don't have to worry about that. We need to be memorizing these things, folks. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. That's not saying you're going to be a movie star necessarily, but what it is saying is that He is going to equip you with everything you need to do to fulfill the ministry He's put in your life. People that know their God will display strength and take action. I'll tell you an action we can take right now. Look at the statistics. It is pathetic. It is pathetic of the number of Christians that actually get out and vote. I think it's somewhere around in the 15 to 17% ratio. I think you should show up and vote just for what we're talking about about Memorial Day because there's been a lot of young people that never even got a chance to vote for a president die. I look at my son, it's 15 years old. He's three years shy of the average age of men that went off to war in World War II, Korea, Vietnam. 18 years old, they're still kids. A lot of them gone in an instant. You don't want to vote for the people that's there, that's fine. There's a lot of idiots that are running these days and I don't get it. And I tell you what, I don't care if you're voting Republican or Democrat. If you ask me, you should be voting this book. And say there's not a candidate that really represents those values. Okay, fine. Show up anyways. Get in there and write on the ballot. I'm not voting for any of these chuckleheads. Or you could do like Billy Rose. You guys know Billy Rose, our usual drummer? Do you, do you guys know that he's ran for governor three times? <laughs> True story. He's rode himself in three times. And I think some of his idiotic buddies down at the prison voted for him too. <laughs> the point is, show up and do it. You don't want to vote for those guys. You don't have to vote for them, but go through the steps of showing up, represent yourself and saying, I'm taking a stand and this is what we should be doing. Well, my vote really doesn't count. But you know, in this day and age, maybe in some ways with all the computer stuff, maybe it doesn't. But the fact of you showing up and do it very much means something. You have the freedom to do it. At least for right now, what time is it? Don't fear. Winston Churchill said one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard. I love it. Let us go forth to do our duty, fearing God and nothing else. The people that know their God will display strength and take action. I used to tell it to the youth all the time when I was leading it, and I believe it. As a Christian, we need to live like the worst thing that could ever happen to us is we die and go to heaven and be with Jesus. There's nothing we have to fear. Now, that's not saying that your palms aren't going to go dry sometime or wet and your mouth is going to go dry, you know, when the autonomic nervous system kicks in, fight or flight and all that. Yeah, that's going to happen. Anybody who has ever been in a situation where that comes up, that's not determining whether they're brave or not. What determines whether you're brave is when all that's going and you have it in your mind that I need to run, but you stand anyways, that's true bravery. 
And I tell you what, you talk to anybody that's ever been in a situation in the, like that, and they say that that doesn't happen, they're either completely insane or they're a liar. You're going to have the butterflies. You're going to have the fear. You're going to have all this race. Your heart rate's going to go up. Your blood pressure's going to go up. Your palms are going to go really sweaty. Your mouth is going to go dry. What do I do? Take a stand. And knowing that the worst thing that could happen to me, if I truly know the Lord, is I die and go home to be with Him. I hope that nobody actually dies physically in the flesh in the process of taking a stand for the Lord. But it might happen. It has happened. Remember Columbine? Read up on that. There was a young lady that they put a gun to her head. Are you a Christian? Might cost you. I don't ever remember reading in this book, salvation is completely free. There's nothing you can pay for it. But if you're really going to walk with the Lord and be His disciple, it will cost you everything. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. There's a whole generation of the mega churches in this day and age that's saying, if anything has happened to you bad, brothers and sisters, well, that's not of God. I'd like you to show me that in the Scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, read that, where Paul said that we were in such a state that we despaired even of life. We were beyond hope. All we could do was rely on the Lord. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert, alone, hungry, tormented for 40 days and 40 nights. He's the great example. If it happened to Jesus, folks, there's a very good possibility if we're His disciple, it could happen to us too. I hope you don't go in the desert. I hope you're not in those situations. But reality is going to say otherwise. Sometimes you're going to be there. Don't listen to these. I don't even know if they're Christians saying, well, that's not of God. It might very well be of God. Just trust in Him. Keep praising Him. Keep, you know, thank Him for everything. And realize that His way is best. And there's something better on the other side of it always. Number four. Oh, I didn't even get to number three, sorry. Keep working while it is light. Keep working while it is light. Folks, the darkness is right. In fact, it's here. The nonsense is here. We're having to wade through it all the time. Work while it's still light. Fulfill your ministry while it's still light. Give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name while it's still light. We were in Cape couple weeks ago and I I tell you what churches can do whatever they want to do it's not my place to say what you should or shouldn't do but I think it's really tacky when a church is out in an intersection begging for money I've always thought that's tacky you agree with me Mr. Schaefer I I just I just think that's one of the tackiest things in the world now I'm not against groups doing it but I just don't think a church should be doing it but then it dawned on me this church and I'm going to give some kudos to this church right now there's a lot of things that this church does that I absolutely love. When we're standing out on an intersection, we're not trying to fleece the people for money. We're trying to be a blessing to them. Have a peep. Have a peep. And just know we love you. Well, I don't go to your church. That's okay. God bless you. We're not out here to do this to try to recruit people. We just want to be a blessing to the community. And I hope as a church we keep doing that stuff more and more and more and more. I really think that's what the church as a whole is supposed to be doing in the first place. Seemed to me I read that stuff somewhere. I could be wrong. Number four, we need to contend earnestly for the faith. Now, last week, I said we need to remain humble, and we do. We need to be humble and broken before the Lord. 
You don't have to be arrogant. You don't have to push the word down anybody's throat. You don't have to demean anybody or disrespect them if they disagree with you. I like to listen to a lot of the conservative pundits on the, on the computer TV. I watch Louder with Crowder. I hope you don't hold that against me. I really like that show. I really think, and a lot of times they're in your face and all that. But for the most part, Steven Crowder is really polite and respectful. To the, like he'll take a topic, like saying there are only two genders, change my mind. And when he sits and talks to these people and they give their point, he never says, oh, you're stupid or anything like that. There's a lot of people that will. They get upset. We don't have to do that. We can remain humble and contend earnestly for the faith. I'm not going to back down, regardless of what you say or think. I love you. I hope you get the truth before it's all over with and said and done. But you know what? Even if you don't, I still want to be your friend. I still want to show you the love that Jesus has for you. I don't agree with you, and I'm not going to change. I'm not going to, I'm not going to compromise what the Word of God says about something. But that doesn't mean I want to take my Bible and beat you over the head with it. Which leads me to the last point. This last one sums everything up in one passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Well, because it would take too long, and I did promise I would try to be brief. But when you get a chance, you get home... Look up Ephesians chapter 6. Most of you are going to know this stuff by heart. It talks about the full armor of God. Anybody remember what it is? Put the helmet of salvation. Come on, we all should know this better than that. Come on. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all doing what? Take up the... Shield of faith that you can quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. That kind of goes with the point I said a while ago. Folks, there's going to be some fiery darts. Don't listen to the megachurch preachers out there saying, well, fiery darts, that God's not going to allow you to go through that. Oh, yes, He will. He's not a tame God. He's righteous. He's holy. His way is always best. But I'm telling you, you're going to experience some fiery darts. That's why He gives you the shield of faith. And then what's the other one? Take up the... The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let me tell you a fact about the sword of the Spirit that we all mistake sometimes. It's an offensive weapon, but it is never intended to be an offensive weapon against humans. Not our brothers in the church, not people that are lost in the world. I've been guilty of it. We are not supposed to know this book and use it as our sword to attack our brothers and sisters, our people in the world. We need to use it to attack the demons that are coming against them. What it says in there, the what is the princes? Or I can't quote it. I should be able to. Yeah, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We're going to be doing a connect group starting in July, where we're going to be talking about this stuff. It's going to be interesting. I'm going to tell you right now, Christians a lot of time make one or two mistakes as an extreme when it comes to the spiritual forces of wickedness. We either deny that they're actually a real thing, oh, that's all a bunch of bunk, or we think there's a demon behind every sheet. Oh my God, they're all out there. No, but I tell you what, there is a balance in between. There are demonic forces. They hate your ever-living guts. They're going to do everything they can to wreck your life, your family's life, and everything about it. But you know what? They get blamed for a lot of stuff that's not their fault sometimes. Sometimes it's our own wicked flesh making bad decisions. In the chapel down at the prison, they've got it on the wall. I love this. They've got it. In, if they, I hope they still have it. I'm surprised they let it stay up this long. But it says this. Choices 
not chances determine your destiny. We are products of the choices we make. And sometimes we make bad choices and sometimes there's consequences for those choices and it's no demon's fault. It's ours. We need to own our part of it too. In everything in the Christian walk, and if I'm wrong, please correct me on this. Show me from the Word. There's deliverance like from drugs in the Lord Jesus. There's deliverance from any sin you could be in in the Lord Jesus. There's a breakthrough in everything you're going through in your life in the Lord Jesus. But one of the first parts of it in every one of them is we have to own our responsibility in it. We have to start there. We have to be honest. If we confess our sins, that's one of the big key points on everything. Lord, I screwed up. I am a wicked, evil sinner, and I desperately need your grace. It starts there. Own our part of it. But the main point on this is, folks, we need to get on our armor and get in the fight. Whatever that may mean. Fulfilling your ministry. Pouring a cup of cold water. If nothing else, taking a few minutes every day to pray. Pray for the church. Pray for the pray and go team. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Definitely pray for your family. I tell you what, I've got two good boys. I don't mean to be biased, but they really are good boys. But sometimes, I tell you what, I've learned a lot about God from being a father. He will chastise us when we get out of line. And I love him with everything in me, but sometimes, I'm telling you right now, I want to lay hands on and take the kingdom of God by violence. Isn't that in the Bible? Maybe not quite like that. I'm worried about my boys. They're good boys for the most part. They make good decisions. But you know what? I work with a lot of people that are full-on blown into substance abuse that were raised in good homes with good families, and they made bad decisions. Not everybody in that lifestyle is somebody that just everything was wrong in their life. I tell you, it scares me. We've got to pray for our family. We've got to be praying for our family. And not just our biological family. We need to be praying for the family. How many of you pray for Pastor Mike on a regular basis? I tell you what, we need to be doing more of it. We don't understand the attack that he and his family are under on a regular basis. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in the body. You never know. I, I think I've told you this story before, but my best friend in the world was doing so. I think he was bush hogging, driving a tractor one day. This was back in 1987 or 88. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he was arrested with this thought that he needed to stop the tractor, get down and pray for a friend of his. He did it. Went on, forgot about it. He heard a week later, right at that day, right at that exact time, that friend had been in a car wreck and he was in critical condition. Maybe it's all a coincidence. I don't know, but I'm telling you, I think it's been proven in a lot of studies. And maybe these are, they're not real. The point is, there have been a lot of studies where people do better who are prayed for. You need it. I need it. So return, be, you know, uh, reciprocate that to your brothers and sisters. You don't know who's praying for you at any given time. So pray for them. Get on your armor and get in the fight because the team is in desperate need of your help. And there's people that are lost and hurting and they need us to be handing out peeps. Here's another thing you can do if nothing else. Yeah, I know it. It might sound goofy, but you don't, we don't know what kind of difference that might make in somebody's life. Or, you know, about here at Halloween, and I know there's so many detractors, Halloween to the devil, yada, yada, yada. You know, there's not a single, there's not a single tradition in Halloween that doesn't originally have its roots in the occult. So what? 
These kids are not Satan worshipers. We're not helping them worship Satan. We can give a piece of candy out to a kid in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. And Lord, I thank you for your word. God, if nothing else, Lord God, forget, Lord, let everybody forget everything I've said, but the truth of your word that was quoted, let it go deep into our hearts and minds. God, you let us get on our armor and get in the fight and understand there are going to be fiery darts, Lord. And God, we need to get our shield up, not just for us, but for our brothers and sisters around us to protect them a little bit too. And God, forgive us where we've used your precious word to attack your precious children. God, let us contend earnestly for the faith. Let us know that we are truly yours. And I'm going to say right now, if there's anybody in here, I don't think we ever want to give an opportunity or neglect to give an opportunity. If you have not made that decision for Jesus, if you can't say that you are actually his, but you want to, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand real quick. Nobody looking around. Lord, I humbly ask you to bless everyone here. And if there is anybody that hasn't made a decision, you would continue to work on them, Lord. And bless them and protect them until they do decide. But God, those of us who have, let us know that we are of you. And you are greater in us than any of the nonsense in the world. And we can take a stand. Lord, me and my house, we shall serve you. We're not going to do it perfect, Lord. We're going to mess up. But we're going to take a stand for you and with you. You're worth it, Lord. Thank you for everything. Thank you for this service. Bless us all as we continue on in our week. If it be your will, bring us back again one more time to come into association with each other and lift your name on high. We humbly ask all this in the everlasting name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you all once again for your patience and attentiveness. I really appreciate it. God bless you and you have a good week.